Hey there, language lovers. Shannon Kennedy here, co-host of the Language Hacking Podcast, along with Benny Lewis. And today we are chatting with Dana Brockbank, who runs a budget travel and language learning blog with her husband at Happily Ever Travels. In this episode, we discuss what makes language immersion work, how language learners waste time trying to be more effective, tips for budget traveling, building a career you can take traveling with you, finding motivation, building conversation skills in a new language, and why something is better than nothing in language learning. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast or the Language Hacking Podcast in general, we would absolutely love to hear from you. You can leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. And now let's jump into our chat with Dana. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 50. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, my name is Shannon and I am co-host of the Language Hacking Podcast along with Benny Lewis. And today we are chatting with Dana, who is an avid traveler and language learner who loves sharing her language learning and budget traveling tips. She's lived in several countries and has learned languages as a part of that, obviously. So since this plays such a key role in being able to live abroad and do some of the things that you've done, let's just get started into your story and how you got into learning other languages. Yeah. So um, I think it's kind of the typical story. It's pretty similar to like what Benny has talked about, how like you try learning a language in high school. And I actually remember I, t- I took Spanish and I actually remember I got a D on my final. I And I am like, I was like a good student and I just could not, I did not get it. But I loved the idea of being able to speak a language. But yeah, that didn't work out super well for me in high school. And then after that, Um, I thought I was going to keep trying to learn Spanish, but I ended up going um, when I graduated high school. My grandma took me to Paris and I just like immediately was like fascinated with the fact that I couldn't read anything and like half the letters weren't pronounced. And it was just like such like a mystery to me that I was like, I have to figure this out. Like, I don't understand how they can like speak this language. So I went home and I ended up uh, taking a bunch of French classes at ASU um, cause I'm from Arizona. And, um, after that, like I wasn't, I wasn't super great at French, but I ended up strangely enough moving to Chile, uh, for a year and a half after that. So I lost pretty much any French I had gotten, but I was in a complete immersion experience in Chile. Um, I lived with someone who only spoke Spanish. I was only using Spanish every single day. So it was like complete immersion. And I learned Spanish like I would say probably it's like a B2 level. And then um, when I came home, I switched my major to Spanish education and um, ended up just focusing on Spanish. And then um, after that, uh, I, I graduated with my Spanish education degree, but I didn't like teaching high school. So it just, we decided to move abroad. And um, the first, one of the first places we went was Italy. And as soon as I heard Italian and I was in Italy, it was like the same kind of thing that happened with French, except for so much easier. I mean, you probably know Italian is easier, especially jumping from Spanish. So I decided to skip French for a while and go to Italian. And um, that's kind of where like I was like, okay, so in Chile, I learned Spanish by completely immersing myself in like an environment where I'm just learning Spanish. Right. And so I'm like, I want to recreate that 
And um, so I decided to move to Italy with my husband. We did a work away and we lived there for a month and a half. And what was really interesting to me was that it was quite difficult to recreate that immersive experience. Um, like, so I started to like kind of panic a little bit. And this brought me to Benny's blog because I couldn't figure out how to get native speakers to speak to me in Italian instead of English. And it was really hard. But um, basically, after a month and a half of being in Italy, I didn't speak Italian hardly better at all than when I got there. And I mean, after reading all of Benny's blogs, this kind of made sense. Like you would rather like you should get to the, the country once you get to like in maybe an A2, even B1 level, and then you can like soak it in. But that didn't like really make sense to me until after because this technically this was my first language learning on my own. Um, and so I, I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do it by myself. And so basically this is when like italki came in and I was using italki a lot. We moved to Turkey after Italy. And this is where I said, I have three months here in Turkey and I'm going to learn Italian, like COC. So I just like, we just, I just started like, I worked, um, I worked as an English teacher online. Um, and in any free time I had, I was studying Italian. And so basically I would take like three Italian classes on italki per week, plus like, well, back when italki had language exchanges, which they've gotten rid of. And I'm really sad about that. But um, I would do those all week long. And then in any free time, I was listening to music, watching TV, lots of Duolingo. I'm kind of obsessed with Duolingo, which is like a controversial thing, I think, in the language uh yeah, but um, that was basically what I was doing. And so then I learned Italian and um, yeah, it was really exciting because it was the first time I was able to like prove my, to myself that I could learn it by myself. But basically I like tell everybody if it weren't for italki, I just like it would be nearly impossible, I think, to learn a language at home, especially on a budget because I'm a budget traveler. I'm a budget blogger. So it's like learning a language on a budget. I was doing like five like I was doing like five to eight dollars for a class. And that was like kind of life changing as far as like language learning goes. But yeah, um, now I'm working on French and it's harder. But I like I feel like with it, Spanish and Italian, those are like my stronger languages. So you've uh, you've got all this travel experience. And like you said, initially, you didn't have that success with Italian, even while you were in Italy. And that can be very confusing for a lot of people because they imagine that this is the solution just go to the country. And uh, what you did in Turkey sounds similar to what I've done in times like when I went to Brazil to learn Arabic. And how did that work? Like, how did you manage to create a virtual environment where you were actually able to use your Italian, even surrounded by Turkish the entire time? Right. So exactly like what you're saying, because I mean, ironically enough, I also moved to France last year and I lived there for a year and I still don't speak that great of French. So it's like the same thing happened. But um, for me, um, when I was living in Turkey, my idea was to just, um, I can't think of the word. It's like, um, what is it? Comprehensive input. Com yeah, right. Like when you're basically you want it to be at the level that you're at, because if I'm listening to a Netflix show made for adults, Italian adults, it's going to go right over my head and I'm not going to, it's not at my level enough. So what I focused on and what I've written a lot about on my blog is watching kids shows. I watched a lot of cartoons, a lot of Peppa Pig, Winx Club, 
and like just tried to stick to my level to like build up my vocabulary. And I feel like that was one of my favorite things to do. Um, so like I'd, I'd have two different ways of doing it. One would be like, I would use subtitles when I'm like focused on like building vocabulary because I want to catch the words. And then um, I take off the subtitles when I'm just trying to like soak in and like listen. And um, so I feel like that was like my favorite thing that I did because I love watching TV. And I mean, I think a lot of people think that if you are kind of like the typical like lazy, I guess I would say I'm a lazy like learners, like I like to soak it in first and then do the hard work later once I've got like a base down. So like once I get my listening comprehension and like basic conversation skills, then I'm like, okay, I'll do the hard work like Anki or whatever. But like, um, oh, and also music. I loved to sing and I'd memorize full songs just because like throughout the day, then I just have Italian going through my head and I have all these like favorite artists and stuff like the top 10, like, I don't know, like I'd listen to the top hundred in on YouTube because it's actually hard to get Italian music in other countries. I had to use a VPN a lot of times to even get content in Italian, um, both on YouTube and on Netflix. So that's basically what I did. And I would, I mean, I didn't do much during these three months. Like I, I know that Benny, you do that as well. Like when you go somewhere, you like, people think that you're like working out or doing all these other goals, but you're not. You're, my goal was to learn Italian. So that's all I did for three months besides work. Like, I mean, besides making money, I was learning Italian. I'm curious to know, because you said that liking Duolingo in the kind of language learning field is a little bit controversial. So what is it about it in particular that makes it work for you? So for me, um, I kind of, I read this quote that it was like, I wrote it down because I know I'm not going to remember it, but it, if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. And that really helped me because I think a lot of times language learners want to find the most effective way, the most, the best resource they could find. And they waste so much time doing that, that they don't actually learn anything. And then a lot of times I think it's better to do something that's maybe the not the most effective than to do nothing at all. And for me, um, struggling with like some mental health issues and like stuff like that, Duolingo is so motivational. It's so easy to see what you're doing that I that was really motivational for um, motivational for me when I didn't have any motivation at all, especially like coronavirus and all of that, like it's hard to find that kind of motivation. And when you can see like, you know, your XP, your points are going up and there's like all of these ways to game the system. And like, it, it can be motivational as a game. And actually one day I was using, cause I used to try to be an Instagram influencer and I didn't really like it. So I gave up on that. But the day I gave up on it was when I, I opened Duolingo and it said like in 15 minutes of Duolingo, you can like learn this like language or whatever what does instagram do for you and i just like it just like hit me and i was just like stopped using instagram like that day and i just like decided that instead i was going to and all the time i spent on instagram i'm going to use on duolingo and that kind of just i don't know got me into duolingo and and i also feel like in the beginning when you're trying to like learn so much duolingo is a great way to trick yourself into learning grammar by noticing patterns instead of like you're studying like a certain like subjunctive or something. And instead of actually studying it, you can just notice, oh, every time after this on Duolingo, 
it's telling me that it's wrong. So I, I noticed by myself, oh, this is what's happening instead of like, like studying in a textbook. So I basically just like replaced a textbook with Duolingo. And at the, t where I was at in the beginning of learning a language, I think that works. But later on, you obviously have to advance into other things. So as you referred to before, you are a budget traveler and you blog about this and you've got your blog, the happily ever travels. Uh, so first I want to hear like what, what the title, uh, refers to. And then I'd love to hear what kind of tips you have for budget traveling, because after the pandemic is over, a lot of people are going to want to get on the road again. And so many people imagine any kind of consistent travel to be completely unaffordable. So how have you done that? And uh, what's the story behind your blog? Well, I am actually terrible with like naming things like so my husband came up with the name and it was just the idea that everyone kept telling us that like we were getting married. So like our life was over and you got to settle down and buy a house and do all this stuff. And we were like, but we just want to travel. So it's like the idea of mixing the to those two things like we want to travel forever and there's nothing that like you guys can say to stop us basically. But um, as far as budget traveling, it was kind of like. I've always been, we've both been super frugal our whole lives. And so like actually leaving United, the United States was the best thing we could have done for saving money. I mean, I tell, I write on my blog, I'm very open. I'm not really like scared of sharing numbers or anything. So in, we've never made like since we've been traveling more than $20,000 a year and we are traveling constantly. So I basically tell people like, if that's what you want to do, if it's your priority, then you make it a priority. And then, so basically we move out of the United States and we live, we lived mostly in Southeast Asia and you save so much money and then you can go travel Europe for a couple months and then go back to Southeast Asia. Or like we did in Turkey, we like, it's so cheap to live there. I think our rent was $400 a month. And basically you cut your rent down half, you can live like an awesome life on hardly anything. So basically we're, it's more like long-term travel. It's not like I'm saying you could go on trips all the time. It's just like, if I'm living in Mexico or in Turkey, I can do a trip for like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks on the weekend. And then my rent is only $400. And so I'm, I don't have to work as much so I can spend a lot more time on language learning, which was like a huge deal for me because I did not like having a full-time job. Um, because it just didn't give me enough time to do what I wanted to do. And so basically, I know at the time I was teaching English and that's a really great way to start out um, traveling. I did VIP kid, but there's a bunch of other like Q kids and ABC kids. There's so many of them um, and they pay pretty well. I was getting paid about 20 to $22 per hour. And then, um, but that's when I had the idea that like, I don't want to do this forever. And, um, I love teaching English. Like I have an ESL that was part of my major, um, an ESL certificate, which is teaching English to second people who don't speak English basically. And, um, but I was getting like, I wanted something else. And so I decided to start the blog basically out of like the idea that I wanted a career, but I wanted a career that I could take around with me. Um, it was basically just about budget traveling and when I, so when the pandemic hit, I was like, crap, I lost most of my traffic. I'm, I was trying to, I had all these goals trying to make money blogging. And that's when I decided to start writing about language learning just because I loved it. And there was no point at this point to like 
write about travel. And that's when like my blog kind of blew up. And I've had most of my success actually from writing about language learning, which is fun because the exact thing that like lets me like uh, learn languages more often in my free time is writing about language learning. So I imagine Benny isn't like, it's kind of the dream. I get like, it's so much fun. I love it. But, um, I don't want to like, I definitely am not making like a ton of money on the blog, but I'm always living outside of the United States. So it doesn't, I don't need that much money to live basically. You had mentioned earlier that one of the things that you've struggled with is motivation and that for you, tools like Duolingo are a good way for you to you know, keep learning when you're struggling with motivation, but is there anything else that you do that you find really effective when you're feeling those lows? That's a great question. Um, so what I did in the beginning is a lot different than what I'm currently doing, um, because I'm trying to like up my levels. So what I've been doing lately is, um, I, I was reading the blog universe of memory and I really liked their blog post about like how many words, to learn to get to each level of language learning. And for me, setting goals is like basic, like it's, it's all like, if I don't have a goal, I feel like there's not really a point of like living. It doesn't make sense to me. I have to have goals constantly. So my goal would be, so I run them down because I thought it was really interesting, but basically you double the, the amount of words per level. So like A1 is 500, A2 is 1,000, B1, like that, 2,000, 4,000, until you get to C1, which is kind of my goal, which is 8,000 words. So my idea was to basically use this and make myself use Anki because I've never been able to motivate myself with Anki before. But what I've been doing is like what Universe of Memory says, their blog, is like to just track it. So every week I track how many cards I've made and I'm trying to get to that, you know, 8,000 per language card limit. And I know that's not like, it's not an exact science. Like it's obviously I'm not going to have 8,000 cards and I'm going to have a C1 level in Spanish, but it's, it's really important for me to be able to track what I'm doing in order to motivate myself. And, um, one other thing is, so universe of memory, I love that blog. And then I also bought the book atomic habits um, by James Clear. And right now, so like, I'll show you, but even though the people can't see it, but I have this habit tracker, um, calendar and it really helps me like visualize what I'm doing each day. And it is the first time I've ever been able to use Anki every day. Just coloring a box in every single time I use Anki is so like visually and like, I don't know, like pleasing. And it's like, it makes you feel like you accomplished something. And so it's keeping me like, motivated to use it every day and plus I'm like excited to hopefully build up Anki for the first time because it's 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 always been a motivation problem for me to use Anki because it's no there's no points there's no cute little golden trophy at the bottom when I've done the whole tree or whatever but um I feel like uh I'm finally at the point where I can I can I can do this and be motivated at the same time yeah excellent and one thing I'm curious about, you said when you were in uh, Chile, that was a very different experience to when you were in Italy. Were you with your husband in Italy and like, how does that dynamic work with your language learning, especially if you're the opportunity to use the language in the country at times? How, how do you kind of mess with um, speaking English at home and using the language out and making sure you're getting enough practice? So that's funny that you mentioned that because, I mean, it's definitely been... Like I've listened to some of your other podcasts where they're like, 
they practice together, but most of the time, Benny, you said that it doesn't really work out that way. And that's how it's happening in my marriage. My husband has zero interest in learning languages, which is frustrating for me. Um, but I mean, I knew that when I married him. So, you know, whatever you take what you can. He does speak another language. He speaks Tagalog because he lived in the Philippines for a while, but he, he hates the whole like feeling frustrated when you're learning new words. He, he feels stupid. So he does not like it at all. And so for me, I kind of, when we were in Italy, I would, it would be frustrating because people would be like, oh, I don't want to speak Italian because your husband is there and he's not going to understand. And I'm like, he doesn't care. Just do it for me, please. Cause like he, a lot of times if somebody comes up and I'm talking to them in another language, he'll peace out because he's like, I don't want to ruin what she's got because he's, he wants me to be able to practice, but he doesn't want to practice at all. Um, so he's kind of like through hanging out with me, he understands Spanish and Italian pretty well. But I've been trying to use Spanglish around him to use, to like be able to use the language more. But I'm not going to lie. It's not always fun because he doesn't enjoy it. But I'm like, it's too bad because I really need to practice. But um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely that's definitely a struggle. I can't lie. And that's another thing why I focus on italki so much because it's like it's really the only speaking practice. But what I want to start doing is... Um, basically like the challenge that you guys have on unfluent in three months, I want to start making videos and forcing myself to talk to myself more often because it's true. I have pretty good listening comprehension and reading comprehension, but my speaking is not at the same level because I just don't have that time. So in Italy, yeah, that was a struggle in Spain or in Spain in um, Chile. He wasn't there. So, and everyone was speaking Spanish. So that's kind of, that's similar in that when you're married and you're with somebody leaving your comfort zone and like going and speaking another language is hard. And so I, I plant in the future, like when coronavirus is over to go out and like, go to like those language exchanges, like at bars or whatever, you know, and like leave him at home essentially, because, you know, with him by my side, it's really hard to do, but yeah, you're right. So given that you um, have lived abroad in so many places. Like, how do you decide which languages you're going to learn and which languages you aren't going to learn? Okay, so for me, it has to be kind of like, I hear the language and I become kind of obsessed with it. And I have to be careful because every language learner knows that you have that like new language feeling when you could jump to a new language and you get all excited. And then, so like, I try to stop myself from doing that because I'm so scared of losing the languages that I have that I feel like I've chosen these this little batch of languages and I just want to keep them like as good as I can because I still struggle to like you know keep them and maintain them um I kind of like I refer to like my languages as like children and in in getting a new one I feel like that's such a big responsibility that I'm not re I'm not sure I'm will ready or willing to like have another one yet but um as far as the languages that I have right now it's it was a it was both interest and like how easy it is to jump from romance language to romance language um and so for me that's important because I want to keep them as high as I can and be able to use them as often however uh I do want to eventually speak a language that's hopefully outside of that sphere of romance languages once I've gotten mine to the level I want to be at I'm really interested in Turkish and I liked Bahasa Indonesia as well. 
Um, I thought those languages were really interesting. Um, I think another thing that's important to me is that the, um, the people who speak that language are like, respect their language. They, they want to like maintain it. They don't like, like, for example, when we went to the Philippines, it was really hard for me because they would sneak English in all the time. And I was like, I don't, I don't have a lot of interest in learning a language that like has so much English in it, even though like, yeah, I don't understand most of what they're saying, but I like, I love that France, they respect their language so much. And like, they have like, you know, the whole, like, I don't like, you know what I'm talking about? Like the government part that like tells you what French words are good or not. And I just find that really interesting. And I love, I would love if the world changed, like got rid of English and made like French or Spanish, the world language. So like, it would be like, I don't know. I just think that when a language is widely spoken, but also really beautiful, those are things that like attract me to it. And Italian, I understand that it's like, you know, not the most efficient language to learn or like not the most effective, I guess, because not a lot of people learn it, but it's so beautiful that, and I love Italy so much that it was like worth doing. I feel like I strayed from the question a little bit, but, um, yeah, basically that. So, uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear more about the specifics of your approach. Cause, uh, like you said, similar to myself, you didn't have any luck in school in the language, but you're having a lot more luck now. So, other than Duolingo and Italki, um, what is your process for like on a day-to-day basis, like how to make sure you're making that progress? Right. So like, I just want to touch on Italki really quick is that um, with my Italki classes, I am only speaking in that language. I'm not going to waste my money on speaking English at all. And I also always have them type uh, if, if there's something I say wrong or whatever. And so I take all of those and I put them onto Anki cards And then I also, um, so part of my little like daily habit chart, I have watch Peppa Pig, which is like, and I just like put on like either Peppa Pig in like my lower languages, which would be like French and like Italian sometimes. And I turn on the subtitles and I'm just making sure that I'm adding new vocabulary every day. And then, um, Basically with Spanish, since it's much higher, I'm watching like Quien Mato Asada that just came out, which was really good. And like um, just tons of Netflix shows. Um, so basically, like I would say that my listening comprehension is is good because I love listening to things all the time. And so like I need to work on more like just like taking videos of myself. Um but basically, I think I would say that um in the beginning of using a link or like learning a language. Anki is kind of hard, but now it's basically what I'm doing every day because I, I'm such a like conversation person. I, and I will talk around a link, uh, a word all day to not have to learn that vocabulary word. And so basically I'm just trying to force myself this time around to like learn the word that I'm supposed to say in this moment. And like, I think that's, that's what's like pushing me to the next level right now. Um, so basically that's what I'm doing every day. Um, lots of Anki and lots of watching TV and I talk to you basically. So Benny and I both really like the conversational approach to language learning, just like you. And we find it's a really effective way to achieve what a major goal is for a lot of language learners. And that's to communicate. So given that it's also an important goal for you, other than, you know, daily practice, learning new vocabulary, what are some of the things that you find help you get to that conversational level quickly? So for me, um, I 
love that because like when I used to do language exchanges, I would get really like, oh, I don't want to feel like it. And sometimes I would cancel because I mean, there's no money on the line. So with me, with italki, I book out my classes and then I under basically like no circumstances will I cancel. And for me, that's such like, a, it's forcing me to do it. And um, when I do more italki classes, I can notice that I advance so much faster than when I'm not taking italki. I could be doing everything else, but if I'm not taking conversation classes, it's, I'm not advancing very much. I, maybe I'm learning some vocabulary, but I'm not using it enough, you know, to be able to, to do that at all. And, um, lately I've started talking to myself. I haven't been recording it, but just like trying to use words that maybe I don't use every day, like talking, like, Oh, and the other thing that I started doing that I actually really like is I pull up like a conversation starter website and you just press randomize like conversation and you have to, and I just make myself answer the question. So it's like, what's your favorite holiday? What time do you get up in the morning? Like, what did you do this weekend? And then you just have to answer it in the language. And that has been really fun because sometimes I don't know which words I don't know until I am talking to somebody and I don't know them. So like this brings up like themes or like vocabulary lists that I probably wouldn't have thought of on my own. And that's something that like I want to work on as far as like conversation goes. And so that's been really fun. In terms of your long-term plans, you mentioned that you want to get to that C1 level, which um, you may potentially have like a certain amount of words in your Anki deck. But where do you see your language future? Like what do you plan to do with the languages as you reach these higher levels and um, how do you decide when the world opens up again, where you might travel and which languages you may take on next? I am not sure, but something that really intrigues me is education for the sake of education, like not necessarily for anything. So I've been looking into um, getting my master's. And um, so there's this school in Genoa, um, Italy, where you have to have a C1 in every language you want to study in order to get a master's there. And so I've kind of kept that as in the back of my mind. I don't know if I'll actually do it, but that's like something that just excites me, which is the idea that I could get a master's for the sake of getting a master's, which I know is really probably not the smartest thing to do, but I, I like taking classes. I love courses. Um, so I think it would be really fun. Um, as far as like what I'm going to do with the languages, I think having them for the sake of having them, even if I don't end up having a job one day, I think that has to do with languages more than my blog already does. I think that just the sake of learning the language or keeping them um, is worth it to me. Also, I always plan to be an expat basically, or like I always plan to be a digital nomad. I don't want to live in the United States for two reasons being one English is basically, you know, it's what's spoken. And two, Americans don't really always respect the language learning grind. They're like, they don't really understand why you're doing it. And they're like, and they, they just put English above everything in a lot of ways. And so I feel like I always want to live in a country that speaks a language that either I speak or I'm, I'm going to learn. So right now in Mexico, I'm having an awesome time just like, oh, I forgot that's how I say this. And like, oh, this is how I do this. And like, I'm putting all these words back in that like, yeah, I knew before when I lived in Chile, but I've forgotten. And so like, I think basically I just always want to live in a country that speaks a different language, hopefully one that I speak. Um, and 
what I plan to do as far as like, I want to go back to Italy, obviously, when everything is open. Um, just so I can like practice again in person and kind of see how far I've come because there's obviously a difference between taking an italki class and talking to someone in person. Um, and another idea that I kind of have is I would like to do, I don't know if Benny, you've ever done anything like this, but like when you have like a language retreat, so I could combine travel and language together in a way that's like people come to wherever I end up living and I have like teachers, like native speakers there and everyone, and we do like an immersive experience for like a week or two weeks. I don't know what. That is something that intrigues me too. Uh, I feel like that would be really fun to try to do. And like, because I don't know if I'll ever have like an official job with that uses languages, but I really like the idea of keep, of having my own businesses that use it. Um, and as far as like which languages I'll learn next uh, and how that'll like affect, I really want... Like Benny, I was like, when I read your thing about learning German and how the germ, it's kind of hard to get Germans to speak to you in German, that almost like turned me off to learning German. Cause I was like, it's already so hard to get people to speak to me in Italian that I like, I'm scared of learning a language that like they already know so much English. So I think that's another, that'll be a factor in the next language I learn is that they don't speak a lot of English so that I know I'll get a lot of practice and that, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that's something that's interesting to me. Um, so yeah, that's basically it. We've talked a lot about your experience as a language learner, but as you mentioned, you've also been a language teacher. So what are some of the things that you as a teacher have noticed as far as, you know, common struggles amongst language learners? And what are some of the tips that you've given to your students who have faced those struggles? So I would say, um, obviously teaching English is like, completely different than like teaching Spanish being like when I'm teaching English, even as a certified English teacher, I wouldn't say that I know all the grammar concepts and that's what I studied in, in college. And it's like, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me, but I can't like teach English as well as I think I could teach Spanish. Although I get that you don't, you want to take a converse, conversation class from a native speaker. But as far as like, for example, uh, the other day I took a Spanish lesson. I don't mean this to sound like condescending at all. I just thought this was interesting, which is that I was taking this class from a Spanish speaker and she, we were talking about different verbs um, that always have an A after it. And she said, oh, and I was like, are there any ones besides ir? And she's like, oh, vamos a. And I was like, that's ir though. That's the same verb. And like, as a native speaker, I could see how that's hard to like put together, you know? So I feel like those concepts you want to learn from somebody who like maybe has learned Spanish themselves but as far as like conversation, yeah, it's probably better to be with a native speaker. But that's like an interesting thing because like, I think that as I teach Spanish, I sometimes have like the imposter syndrome being like, I'm not as good as other Spanish speakers. I'm not a native, but there's certain things that a non-native speaker can bring to the table. Um, being that I had to learn what subjunctive is. I asked my friend the other day if she had any idea what subjunctive is. And she said, no, like, I don't even know what that is. And she's Mexican. And so it's like, it's just, it, there's that kind of, um, that kind of thing that you can bring as an, as a non-native speaker to a classroom. I think another thing, um, I taught high school, which sucked because high schoolers don't want to learn anything. Um, so that's kind of, I didn't really like doing that, but, um, I still had a lot of really good days with them when it was based around conversation and listening. They like, they don't want to do grammar. They don't like, I didn't even know what this, what knew what this was until, um, I taught high school, but like, 
verb trees where you like write out the conjugations. It's so boring. Like I don't blame them for not wanting to do that. Um, so basically I just tried to like shy away from that and just like focus on like more absorbing the language naturally, especially when you're at such a low level, it's so hard to care about all these grammar concepts. So I think you first have to like understand the language even to care about like grammar at all or like um, more vocabulary even. So that was kind of a hard thing because high schoolers don't want to do that. But like getting like getting them to be interested also helped me realize how I could get myself more interested in things and why at times I feel unmotivated because I'm like, if I don't want if they don't want to do it, there's got to be a reason. And like. I, I could see that in myself as well, as well as my husband, because I sometimes I tried. I'm like, if I could get him to learn a language, I could probably do anything. But he so like, I don't know, I would kind of notice that through those conversations in class, like if I spent a whole class speaking in Spanish, they would feel a lot more engaged than if I just was like trying to explain a grammar concept. I don't know. I am glad that I've I kind of have stepped away from teaching, um, but I still think that I like keep a lot of those things in mind when I'm learning now. So as you know, uh, when we invite people on the podcast, we like to hear what their definition of language hacking is. So I'm very curious to hear what is yours. I feel like I, so there's, I kind of have like a different idea. Like when I am some, I'm someone who's like, maybe not as motivated or like, I, I kind of feel like um, when you have like, a mental illness or something like that, it, it can be hard when you hear stuff like hacks or like effectiveness. It can be hard because it feels so far from you. It feels so un, like unaccessible to me sometimes. And I, it can be like a little bit dis, um, discouraging. Um, so for me, like, I think that um, it's like more important to worry about just being around the language as much as you can and enjoying it. I feel like that's the best language hack that you can have is, okay, say for example, I know you could download a frequency list online and put them all into Anki deck. And then you can maybe speak the language like in a week or like in a month, you, as long as you're like, you know, not exactly, but you get what I'm saying. But do you enjoy that? Is that something that like makes you like the language that you're learning? Is that something that makes you excited to like learn the language that day? And if it's not, I think that it's not effective. And I don't think that that's a hack for you. Like it could be a hack for someone else, but it's not for you. And so I think that instead of like, if there's people out there that are, feel like, oh, it's only like type A personalities that are learning languages who are so busy all the time. I'll tell you that that's not the case because I hate being busy. I hate feeling overwhelmed. And yet I love language learning because I've focused it around the resources that I enjoy doing. And I just don't really care if everyone thinks they're effective or not. I just care that I'm having a good time while I'm doing these things. And like, I, I'm getting the goals that I want to do. And I feel like that um, doing like something every day is better than doing nothing. Like I hate waking up and working out, working out. So lately I've just turned on like a YouTube video and I'm just doing crunches while I watch the YouTube video. And I'm like, you know what is better than doing nothing. So I think that that can be like a more accessible way to like, to be a hack per se, which is just like, instead of saying, I'm going to learn Spanish in a month, just be like, I'm going to do this every day, just whatever it is, like this, a small thing, and then just figure out what you like and keep doing that. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your experience 
learning languages, budget traveling, and teaching languages. And if you're listening to this episode of the podcast, you will find everything we mentioned in this episode in the show notes. Yep. And people can, of course, uh, check out more from Dana on happilyevertravels.com. And um, that'll all be in the show notes. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Dana, for joining us today. And um, we wish everybody happy language learning. Yeah, thank you so much. Happy language learning. Happy language learning. At the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share a takeaway that we got from our discussion with our guest. And this is something that is going to be immediately actionable for you, something that you can implement into your own language learning so that you can start to see changes and progress almost immediately. And so, Benny, I'm going to ask you today first, what was your takeaway from this episode? So I've I've always been a little skeptical of Duolingo. Um, because, you know, the phrases that it tends to present are a little random. I do like their scope of languages. They have Irish. They recently added Yiddish. But whenever I've used it, the gamification side of it kind of distracts me from the the core aspect of it. But I really like what Dana was saying, that sometimes maybe we don't need to be as critical of these tools because uh, done is better than perfect or whatever way she phrased it. It's it's better to just use something that you know is motivating you. So if seeing the gamified uh, aspects that Duolingo gives you, like the trophies, is helping you, then you are doing something. And that is better than being hypercritical and deciding, you know, maybe I can find the perfect language learning app because Duolingo is definitely better than um, trying to spend forever finding that perfect app. So um, it's it's kind of reminded me of that, that, Maybe in cases where it might cover a language that has less resources, I should give it another try, even if in the past I didn't find it worked well with my approach. But in general, other people listening, whatever resources you find, if it's working for you, if it's making you do it consistently, then that is the best resource for you right now. Do not waste your time trying to keep uh, analyzing and looking and finding for the right one. And even if if me or anyone else says that this is the best resource and it doesn't t- turn out to be the best for you or this is not a good resource and it turns out to be good for you, then that's what you need to go with. You need to go with what is actually working. Yeah, I think my takeaway was very similar to yours in that it was the comment that she made about how easily we waste time trying to be efficient because we're always looking for you know, the best resource, the best method, the quickest, you know, way to learn the quickest, you know, way to kind of do everything now, because we're so focused on productivity and getting things done and getting, you know, learning as much as fast as possible. And I think that sometimes, like you said, you know, just use what's available to you, use what's in front of you, make the most of it. And, you're going to get a lot farther by just immediately diving in and doing something. You know, as she said, something is better than nothing. So not worrying so much about finding the best method or finding the best resource and, you know, wasting all of that time looking and instead start doing. All right. That's it for this episode. As always, you can find all the resources and tips mentioned in the show notes for this podcast, which are available to you in the description wherever you're listening. Once more, you can let us know what you think over at languagehacking.com slash review. And until the next time, happy language learning.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.